0: grace, uh, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our gospel reading this morning from Luke 10 is that which includes Jesus' well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. It stands as one of the most masterful lessons on law and gospel in Christ's recorded ministry. It is marked as much by its brilliance as it is by its simplicity with the deft use of irony that gives decisive effect and compelling force to what is taught. As such, our passage offers us the highest wisdom that anyone could ever hope to possess, that is, divine wisdom, heavenly enlightenment, and the knowledge of God, something that lies outside the reach of our sin-darkened minds. In so doing, it performs for us today that very same service that Jesus rendered to his original audience of bringing us to repentance and faith in the grace of God for our salvation, joy, and blessedness. For that is what Jesus came into the world to do. And that, and nothing else, is what Jesus was busy doing in his life And ministry. He didn't come into the world to teach ethics, to teach economics, to teach life skills, to lead a cultural or political revolution, or to establish a school of philosophy. But as we learned last week, he came to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. That forgiveness being both the form of God's kingdom among us and the power by which it exercises its reign. And it is in fulfillment of this mission and in furtherance of this most glorious end that all Jesus does and says in his life and ministry are done. So that it is in view of his salvific work, of his fulfillment and establishment of the righteousness of God for the justification of us sinners. It is in view of that, that we are to understand all that he is saying and doing. It is at every turn a realization and proclamation of human salvation by God. Don't let anyone fool you about this either. This is something that needs saying along uh, with my introduction that I just gave in support of this. Because of the sad fact that as much of a gift as this passage is in its elucidation Of law and gospel by Jesus it is too often treated as nothing more than an exhortation to be neighborly as if Jesus would diverge from his all-important mission of salvation to address civil affairs or as if in answer to the question of how to obtain eternal life he would digress to comment on good manners or as if when posed a question that concerns justification in the sight of God, he would prescribe altruism as the answer. (laughs) Poppycock, ignore such nonsense and instead give heed to Christ lest such knaves despoil you of the heavenly riches and divine treasures he gives you in his word. Now that I've vented, <laughs> onto the passage. The question put to Jesus by this teacher of the law, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, is one we are told he asks, for the purpose of testing our Lord. The test is obvious enough. Jesus has been proclaiming the message of salvation by the grace of God alone, through faith alone. That God, by his own sacrificial action, sees to the justification of the ungodly. So that people may rest their hope on and place their faith in God's promise of mercy in Jesus Christ, with full and certain expectation of being ushered into the kingdom of God on the last day. And even now, since that day, the eschaton, as theologians call it, is even now upon us. But this seems completely at odds with what this man understands the law to teach. And he's trying to trap Jesus into contradicting the Word of God. This shouldn't surprise us since this kind of thinking, what Lutheran theologians call the opinio legis, a legal way of thinking is native to all of us. It is how we are hardwired. Within such a framework and, and by the rules that govern it, justice is a matter of what is deserved, owed, and earned, whether as a liability or debt or as an asset or reward. Consequently, this man thinks that eternal life is a commodity on which God has set a price that if one will meet, he or she can obtain. In other words, God's life is for sale. Now, it's not the law itself, however, that... Actually teaches such a thing, but it is the consequence of the law as it applies to and is understood by sinful human minds. Because the difference between the law as it is meant by God who gave it, and as it is understood by sinners whose minds suppress the truth, that's you and and I, the difference could not be more opposite. This is why in answer to the law teacher's question, Jesus not only asks him what the law teaches, but more pointedly, he says, how do you read it? Because it reveals... The problem of sin in him. For this man, the law, that is, his keeping of it, is the way to righteousness and life. Don't be shocked when I tell you that in that he isn't wrong. As our Old Testament lesson from Leviticus says is the case. And as Jesus himself tells the man saying to him, do this and you will live. But there is a problem here. And one that becomes immediately evident in this law teacher's follow-up question of, and, uh, and uh, uh, one more question, sort of like Columbo, you remember? Uh, one more thing. Uh, uh, who exactly is my neighbor? A question we are told he asks Jesus in order to justify himself. This is the quandary we all find ourselves in under the law due to sin. We sense our lack of righteousness and our indebtedness to justice. We know we don't measure up and the law is of no help whatsoever as it only magnifies our guilt, and hastens us on to even worse infractions. Sin inverts our lives and turns us against God by turning us in toward ourselves, a condition expressed in the ancient Latin formula In curvatus in se, meaning curved or turned in on itself. And the law drives us deeper and deeper into this state and then seals us up in it forever. So that consequently what is meant for good brings about evil. What is meant for righteousness brings about unrighteousness. And what is meant for life produces death. I mean, how many times have you seen a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch. And all it does is provoke people to touch. (laughs) This is the case in our understanding, using, following of, and our attempt to fulfill the law. Because as sinners in doing so, we bring about its very opposite. But back to my point, when Jesus said, do this and you will live. You see, the fulfillment of the law does mean Righteousness and life. But not because it means that for the one doing it. But for the others on whose behalf it is being done. And it is in this selfless divine love's laying down of its name and its righteousness and its life. For others, so that they may have those things, that it becomes the heir of them. For it finds and has righteousness, life, justification in those for whom it has obtained them. You will recall Jesus was asked this very same question on another occasion by a rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded similarly with the youthful aristocrat saying that he had indeed kept all the commandments from childhood. Jesus let stand that man's claim but told him it still wasn't enough, that he yet lacked one thing. In other words, Jesus told him, whatever he may have gained for himself by keeping the law, whatever it may have profited him, it still left him without eternal life, since his keeping of the law was for his own benefit for his own blessedness, and for his own salvation, which is not a keeping of the law at all, but it is the greatest possible breaking of it. That man must count all those things as belonging to others whatever righteousness and gain his obedience to the law got him, he must, like God in Christ, consider it something done to bless others as God did in his son Jesus, condemning himself to justify us. The story then of the Samaritan serves to show the law teacher that so long as he pursues the course of self-justification, whatever attempt he makes to keep the law, to preserve his own righteousness and holiness like the priest and the Levite, will only result in his breaking of the law. And in the very worst way, because he'll be doing it in the name of God. The Samaritan represents what God has done for us and is clearly a Christ figure. As I said, God condemned himself and bore our curse and our uncleanness because that is what love insisted upon. And that is what his love gave him the power and freedom and righteousness to do even if it meant his contamination and his damnation. In Christ, God has fulfilled the law so abundantly that he burst it into pieces by acting with a wisdom and a justice and a goodness that the law could not contain and that the law, as it had come to be, Ruled out of bounds. But that's what divinity can do. (coughs) And that's what love will do. We have had bestowed on us in baptism this same righteousness. And have been taken up into this love. Full of grace that justifies us at every turn. And thus leaves us free as Samaritans all to be those through whom that love is expressed. So on this fifth Sunday after Pentecost, hear the good news and believe. May God the Holy Spirit bear his sacred witness and seal to our hearts. These words. Amen.